Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. How about that? Can you hear me now? Okay. Cartoon Saddam. Uh, President Bush is on the cell phone and Saddam Hussein's on the other side. He says, Can you hear me now? Yeah. I want to talk tonight a little bit about Moses. Margaret said, Sister Margaret said she'd been studying it in her class. And uh, God began dealing with me several weeks ago on this particular message. And so let's see what we can get out of it and where we're going to go, okay? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, it says, And when the Lord saw that he, Moses, turned aside to see... God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. If God would call your name right now, what would you say to him? Would you dare say anything to him right now if he'd call your name? Curiosities brought Moses to the burning bush. He saw it in a distance. He wondered what it was. And he went there to find out. And that's exactly what he was. He was curious. But then when God called his name, here am I. But I don't think he really thought it was God. I think he was looking around kind of puzzled and saying, who in the world is this? But when somebody calls your name, yeah, here I am. And that's basically what the man did. Then Moses stood still after he said, here am I. And then God was getting ready to teach him something that sometimes we need to know. In the third or fifth verse, it says, And he said, God, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Now God has certain territories that we can only enter into when we're prepared. We can't always just burst up to the throne of God and say, Now, God, I demand this. There is a position you've got to get into. There's things you've got to do before you can do this for God to get your attention or you to get his. And it doesn't depend on how long we've been saved. What it depends on is where our spiritual life is with God. I know people that's been in the church for 30 and 40 years and they're still infantile. When you talk to them about something, they can't grasp the spiritual idea. They've got to reach out and get the natural. Oh, they can tell you plenty of natural, but they can't tell you anything in the spiritual, and it's needed. Here again, we want church growth. We've got to be spiritual in what we're doing. It goes again with this age group that Brother Roy taught on quite a few months ago in the Nepolis. That's a newborn up to two years of age, and that's where everything's got to be done for them for their own safety and their own protection. Now, did you ever stop to think about that in the spiritual realm? There are certain people that you've got to protect. You've got to put a fence around them. You've got to do everything spiritually for them, or they don't know how to do it. 
And we've got to keep our mind and realize where are we in this. The next one is the Padeons, and that's the class I teach over there. They're from two years through 12. They're learning, but they're not wise enough to use the knowledge they've got. Now, I've watched parents, forgive me if you're in the group, I'm sorry, but I've watched parents give a two-year-old permission to choose the clothes they're going to wear. And they choose very inappropriately for the most part because they don't know what is necessary. I saw one little girl, and I'll not go into who she was, but she wanted to dress for summer, and there was snow on the ground. And she threw a temper tantrum till her mother let her wear what she wanted. Oh, I wish you'd shut up. Instead of her saying, excuse me, but you're not the mother here. I am, and it's cold outside, and you're not going to wear your sunsuit. But we don't see that. We don't see it in the spiritual either, where a lot of times a pastor will stand up and he'll tell you certain things to do, but I want to do it my way. But God sent us pastors to tell us how to do it, what to do. Gosh, that's not going over too good. Okay. It says, use the knowledge they have in consideration of others. Are others property? Are the danger of their acts? I had a little girl one time, and I asked her, I says, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know what her answer was? A street person. She'd been watching television. And she saw all these girls scantily clad out there parading up and down the street. And you know people stopped in cars and just talked to them, and they were so friendly. But that's a pateon. That's a child that has some knowledge, but she doesn't have any knowledge of the danger. She doesn't know how to apply that knowledge to keep herself safe. And this is why it is so dangerous a lot of times to turn children loose in the natural as well as in the spiritual. We have seen them take, God's called them to preach, and instead of them sitting there and listening to know and learn how to get in and out of the pulpit, they put that Bible under their arm and they'll say, thank God I'm a preacher, and away they go. And spiritually speaking, they do themselves harm and they do the church's harm that they walk into because they don't know how to use what they've got. My mother-in-law years ago when I was called into the ministry, I went down and talked to her and I said, Mom, what do I do? I said, I know God's calling me. She said, Joyce, sit still. She said, right now you've got your family. Said, get that family grown. Teach them the ways of God. And she says, when they're big enough, God's going to give you the messages to teach and preach. Of course, my calling's basically teaching. But this is what she told me. And I listened to her because I considered her my mother in the spiritual realm as in the natural realm. And you know, she was right. She told me, right, my first job was to my children that God had given to me to take care of and to teach those children about God. But you know what? While I was teaching them about God, I learned too. I learned too. And it was a blessing to hear those children walk out 
uh, go up of a morning and go to school and they'll walk out singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. And they went to school like that and their day turned out well. And God was there. And spiritually speaking, those children grew as I was growing spiritually. And I thank God for that. The next one is a technon. Now, this is the one that we all have trouble with. And that's a teenager. Most teenagers think, honey, I know it all. I know it all. But they don't know what to do with what they got. Again, it goes back to this thing. They don't know what to do. They don't realize what they do now will have repercussions in the future. They don't know that it could be dangerous to them to get into a car and not drive the speed limit or sometimes under, depending on road conditions. They don't know this, so they zoom off, and the next thing you know, well, they've killed themselves or somebody else. They don't know the repercussions. Teenage is a very difficult age for young people. But you know, it's just as difficult for adults in the spiritual realm or even for teens in the spiritual realm that have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's a very difficult time because they don't know which direction to go and what to do with it. And they need leadership and they need guidance. And again, this goes right back to this. They need leaders in the church that will not be afraid to tell them the truth and then let them begin to act on it and have confidence in their leaders we've been in churches before whenever you've tried to teach the children something and they will go home and oh well you don't have to listen to what they say and the first thing you know before it's all over with the child doesn't have any confidence and if they don't have any confidence then the next thing they lose interest in the church and they're gone Now, if we can't all agree that this gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth, there are rules and regulations that he has laid down that we've got to adhere to, like it or not. We've got to teach our children. We've got to be taught if we're in this teenage stage. And I don't mean, again, how long you've been in the church. I mean your maturity, your growth. Do you rebel against the word of God when it's ministered or against a leader in the church that tells you or tells somebody in your family what they need to do? Well, I think that would go right along with the technon, the teenage. And we need to grow up. Well, there's such a few of us. We need to grow up in God because we want these kids in the church but if they hear us not doing what's right, they're not coming in here. They can go down the street and there's somebody down there on that street that's willing to put their arms around them and love them right. and say this is the way to go and into prostitution they go, male and female. My heart's bleeding tonight because I know what every one of these testimonies has been about. But we as a church have got to realize where we're at, accept that, and then begin to grow in the Lord. I don't care if you've been in the church 40 years. 
If your spiritual conduct is teenage, you're a teenager. Then when we get through with that, we've got a heros. That's a young adult. This would say, well, let's say that that would be somebody that just get married. You know, hey, I know it all. I just got married. <laughs> but honey, have you learned to figure out a budget? Have you learned to budget your time and budget your finances? Have you learned to share what you've got with somebody else? Have you learned to listen to somebody else talking and say, I've got a little bit to say in this marriage too. After all, we're husband and wife now. And if you don't want to do that, for God's sakes, don't get married. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. He wants to tell you what to do. He wants to do it for your good. But he wants you to also give him some feedback. Talk to him. Then share with him. You know, sometimes I don't think we know how to share with God. I don't think we know. But God wants you to sit down and talk to him. Now, you can do that in your automobile. You can do it on your job when nobody else is around because they'll think you're bonkers if you talk while nobody's there to listen. But God's listening. And then when you get through talking, shut up and let him answer. I know I went through that stage. and Sometimes I go back through it. I'm reverting back to my second childhood sometimes, I think. But you've got to stop and listen to what God is saying to you as a young adult. And there's so much more that you're going to learn as time goes on. And the more in this stage and the next stage you think you know, the more you realize you don't know. Now, teenagers know it all. But when you get into the heros and the patri and the matri stage, you're going to find out there's a whole lot you don't know. And you've got to study. And you've got to search it out. You've got to pray. You've got to seek God. And this is basically what God was trying to tell Moses. Get your shoes off. This is holy ground. How many times do we come in that church and our mind is going everywhere except on God? See, the matri and the patri is the mature. Now, these are mature in God. They are basically the apostles and the prophets and the God-called teachers and the evangelists. I got one left. Pastors. Yeah, I left you out. But you, they're seeking for the greatest blessing for God's people. They're trying to do the work for God, work with God for his people. Now you're going to find out these others basically is working for God because I want a blessing. I want a blessing. It doesn't say anything about trying to bless somebody else. But I remember one time we were in a church 
and we got to praying for a particular little lady and said, Lord, we want to see her blessed tonight. All this time we've been coming to this church, we've never seen this little lady blessed. Well, we didn't realize it in my juvenile and some of the rest of them. We got together and put our heads together. We're going to pray for her. We said, God, we want to see her blessed tonight. And we didn't think about ourselves. But you know, God started moving. And for the first time and the last time I ever remember seeing that lady dance in the spirit, my mother-in-law got up and danced all over this floor. Because there was some of us got together and decided it wasn't for us. But then when she got in and got to being blessed, we did. That's where it's at. When we realize when we bless other people, then God blesses us. But don't seek it for yourself. Seek it for somebody else. Because that's what God's wanting to do. And again, it's not the age. Uh, you could be 75 years old and come into the church and still be a baby. Or you can be 75 years in the Holy Ghost and still be a baby. So you've got to be careful. Moses wasn't fit to come to God or to get too close to him at this time. He came into his presence, but he wasn't fit to get all that close. He had not repented. He had not confessed his sins. And he hadn't asked forgiveness for any of them. His attitude was still basically curiosity. Because he wanted to know why that bush was burning. Why wasn't it consumed? He wanted that. He actually was not prepared to meet God. And God said, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. Well, now you get to thinking about shoes. For the most part, they're dirty. And they're smelly. And you don't know where they've been or what you stepped in. After all, he was a shepherd. You don't know what he stepped in. And they're polluted. And naturally speaking, but now spiritually speaking, it's the same thing. Where have you had your feet before you come to the house of God? Spiritually speaking, has it been off in left field? Has it been in the past? <clears throat> have you argued with your wife and kids? <laughs> You see, all this has to do with preparation to meet God. You've got to try your very best. There will be no argument. There will be no dissension in your house. When you start to walk in that door, the only thing on your mind is Jesus Christ and doing the will of God and being a blessing to somebody else. That's what he expects. Take off your shoes. Now, this church is God's territory. It's his house. And we've got to come into his presence with a, at the attitude of meeting with God. And I've seen us come in, and I say us, because I'm just as big a, a one to tease and cut up as he, anybody in here is. But I've seen us come in, and there wasn't a thought about God in our mind. It was to tease and torment and aggravate somebody else. And that wasn't good. That isn't good. If we're going to do this church justice and get done what God has asked us to do, we're going to have to come in with our mind on God. 
Are you going to be serious or foolish? Well, I'm too foolish, and I'm uh, God help me, I'm going to try to stop that. I'm not going to torment Sister Beulah no more. I'm not going to aggravate Brother Corbett anymore. If I do it, I'll do it outside. <laughs> okay. But we've got to come in with the attitude, this is the king of kings' house. And would you walk into somebody's house that had a white carpet and that everything was immaculate? Would you walk into it with dirty shoes on? No. I hope not. Would you walk into it just looking any old way? No. When you're coming into the presence of the King of Kings, then you've got to act like it, you've got to dress like it, you've got to be like that you are coming into the King's house. I had a disagreement with one of my daughters. She says, well, I can go however I want because I'm going to Daddy's house. And I said, no, you're not. No, you're not. This is the Father's house. You're going to your heavenly Father's house, not your earthly Daddy's house. You don't ever call him Daddy again. He is the Father. He is God. He is Jesus Christ. Well, she got the pooch mouth for a little while, but you know she got over it. And now she's teaching others that it's not Daddy's house. It's the Father's house. And there is a difference. Again, go back. What are you? Are you two, zero to two years old? Two to twelve? A teenager? Come on. It all has to do with that spiritual maturity. Our Lord is the Lord of all and the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of our soul. But this ground inside this assembly, inside this church, is holy ground. I've been in a church where I've had to take my shoes off because the ground was so holy I felt like I was polluting it. And I wasn't the only one. I noticed other ladies and even men took their shoes off literally took their shoes off and the blessings and the anointing of God came down and the power of God was so strong I could have run through a troop and leaped over a wall and so could everybody else why? because you respect the house of God God introduced himself in the sixth verse he says, moreover, I am the God of thy father. Moses, I'm the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. What references that God came to him and gave. Right. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and your father. What respect, what admiration. And Moses couldn't take it no more. He could not take it anymore. He fell flat on his face. He had his face toward the ground because he was repenting that he was in the presence 
of Almighty God. Might I ask tonight how many of us has ever fell on our face or got on our face before God and sought His, fa sought His favor for somebody? Well, no. After all, I'm, I'm old and I can't get up. But you do get up if you fall down. You do get up when you get down to pick up some weeds out of the garden. You get up to pick up something else off the floor. So why can't you lay out in front of the sofa right on the floor with your face down and say, God, I come here for one reason and one reason alone. I want to see souls saved. I want to see our church united. I want to see your blessings, O oh God, on others in the church. Sister Mary's been sick. Sister Mildred's going through trials. Sister Shirley's got problems in her health. God, I want to see that stopped. But so many times we go down and God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. When God says, I give you but you're not using what I've given you the way I've told you to use it. And we don't like that when God points a finger at us and tells us that. But that's what He does. He wants us to be saved, but He wants others in our family to be saved. He wants our friends to be saved. But if they don't see any difference than us and the drug addict out there on the street... Where are we going? All right. God, is a mo God was a gentleman. He introduced himself. And we as children of God should, no, we must, feel God's burden in order to accomplish that which God wants done. And we've got to go to the full measure. We can't give God a token. It's got to be to the full measure. You say, well, you've got a lot of room to talk. What have you done? Listen, I've given God full measure, and I've also given Him tokens, so I know what I'm talking about. I know the blessings with the full measure. But let me tell you something else. I also know the heartache with the full measure because when you give God the full measure, you're going to turn off somebody else over here and they're going to look at you and say, who do you think you are? Right. I've had them tell me that. Who do you think you are? And I say, I'm a child of God trying to do what God tells me to do. And then whenever I give God a token... The same person almost can come over and say, well, what's happened to you? You know, why aren't you doing what God wants you to do? You expect me to do it. Why don't you do it? Sweetheart, I've been through the gauntlet and back and again and again. And it's not easy. No way. Moses' heart and his soul knew he was not worthy to look upon God in the face. Not literally, but figuratively speaking, he was actually standing in the presence of God. You see, many times we don't think about that 
when we come into church or when we begin to sing, we're not singing just to sing. We're singing to Him. We are in His presence. Yield yourself. If you feel like shouting and He puts a shout on you, do it. If He puts tears in your eyes, cry. But you're in the presence of an almighty and a holy God that wants something from you so He can give something back. Praise God. He had His face in that typified repentance and submission. Again, there's that word submission. We've heard that a lot lately. We are to come humbly and yet boldly before God, but we're being prepared to do this. If your shoes has got mud on it, spiritually speaking, don't you dare walk into the holy ground of God and ask Him to do something for you because He's not going to do it. But if you cleaned your feet up, you cleaned your life up, you've asked God to forgive you of your sins and your trespasses, you've prayed for other people that have a need, you've done everything you know then you can walk in and say, God, I'm not brazen with this. I'm coming as best I know how. I need or they need. You see what I'm saying? Moses is a wonderful example of here am I. Can we tell God here am I? Are we worthy? Not by your righteousness you're not. But are you worthy to say, here am I? To answer his call. God knew Moses. He really did know his past, his present, and his future. God knows us inside out, honey. You don't fool God. There used to be a saying around, you don't fool Mother Nature. Well, let me tell you, you don't fool God for an nth degree. He knows us. He knows our intentions. He knows our heart. He knows what we desire. Do we desire to find favor with the world more than favor with God? He sees our thoughts. And she did have children. Hannah could not. And it seemed that Peniah was always saying snidey remarks and making fun of Hannah because she couldn't have children. I've seen that too. And Hannah felt unworthy of Elkaniah. She felt good for nothing. She felt useless and less than a slave. But Elkaniah loved Hannah. He loved her very much. But the Bible tells us Hannah cried a lot. Because this woman continually says, well, look at me. I can have children, and you can't. I give this to Elkaniah. I give that one to Elkaniah. But notice what it was. He still loved Hannah the best, the most. The whole family went to the temple, as was their custom in the proper time. And Hannah went into the temple to pray and to seek God that she might have a child. And she prayed with such fervency that she shook and she moaned and she groaned in her spirit until sound came from her heart and through her mouth. 
church, tell me something. How long has it been since we've got down on our knees in this church, either in that room, that room, or down here at the altar, and we begin to cry out to God with such fervency from inside it comes out. Oh God, I love Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Where's the fervency? Where's the fervency? In one church that we went into, it was a large church, but the people in that church did not pray in the church at the altar. They went in the back in what they called the prayer garden. It was glorious. It was beautiful. People never prayed They walked and they talked with God. They stood at a window and they didn't see what was outside that window. But they stood there and they cried, Oh, God, give us children. When we went there, they had 75 people. When we left, they had over 400. Because they knew how to pray and get a hold of God. It's something that has to come up from out. It comes up and out. That's what I said. If you want to use those rooms over there, go to it. If you want to use this altar, go to it. But get in there and pray. I want children in this church. We've got to have them. People, do you realize in another five years, if we don't get people in this church, there isn't going to be but just a handful here. And we think this is a handful. But look at how many people you've got over 70 years old sitting right here now. And every one of those over 70 could be gone in five years. Come on, young people. I'm preaching to you just as much as I'm preaching to us older ones. But us older ones, we pray. We can pray. We know how to pray. And our age has nothing to do with it. We can get a hold of God for people to come into the church and then for messages to be delivered to pull those people in. But look what Hannah did. She got that away and she got accused of being drunk. Eli came up and said, Don't you know you shouldn't get drunk? Get out of the church and go home and don't get drunk no more. And she told him. She said, no. She says, I'm not drunk. She says, I want a baby. I want children. I want God to give me a child. And I'm here seeking God. I want the face of God. I want the word of God to tell me I'm going to have a child. Well, oh, Leah... Eli, say it, Eli, he backtracked, he backtracked, he was sorry for what he had said, he was sorry for not being able to discern what this lady needed, what she was doing, 
He couldn't discern that she wasn't drunk, but she was seeking God for something fervently. He said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel shall grant thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she arose and went back to where her husband was, and she ate because she hadn't been eating. She ate, and the next morning they left, and they went back home. And true to his word, a year later, she had a baby. About a year later, let's say it that way. But she wasn't going to go back to the temple until the baby was weaned. And they didn't wean the babies then like we do today. They were three to five years old, sometimes older than that. But when the baby was weaned and she had made him clothing, she took him and the clothes back to the temple and gave him to Eli. Now it was Eli's responsibility to raise this boy in the house of God. All right, let's stop here just a moment. Eli had two sons raised in the church. They lived in the church. We've lived in the church, and that's not an easy thing to do. But we lived in the church. We lived in the back of the church. But he lived in the church with his sons. From the time they were big enough to go forth, they did not respect the house of God, and they did not respect the other priests. They did not respect the offerings, and as they grew up more and more, they took advantage of the young women that came into the church because they were the priests. God warned Eli. He told him what his sons was doing. He told him to correct them. They would not. And finally, after Samuel was there, and again, Samuel was in the church, he was all about the church. He knew all the functions, all the workings of the church and everything that was going on. But Samuel didn't know God. He did not know the word of God. Where was Eli? That was Eli's job. Eli should have told that boy God's word, but he didn't do it because the Bible plainly says he, now, in the seventh verse, it says, Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. Just because you bring a child to church, just because you bring a child to Sunday school, does not mean they know God. That has to be done in the home by word, by prayer, and by example. Now, I don't know how many remember what happened. But God called Samuel in the night. And Samuel thought it was Eli calling. And he goes to Eli and he says, What is it, Eli? Here am I. And Eli is sleepy and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. Go back to bed. A little bit later on, it was again the same thing. And Samuel gets up and goes and Eli says, No, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I didn't call you. I know I didn't. So next time that happens, you say, Here am I, Lord. 
Now, he wasn't 12 years old yet. Saying, here am I, Lord. Moses was an older man when he said, here am I, Lord. But this is talking to a child. And God revealed to that child exactly what was going to happen to Eli and his family. They're going to be cut off. But they weren't cut off right away because Samuel had some learning to do. He had to learn how to get in and out of the house of God, to be obedient to the word of God. All these things Samuel had to learn. And then they had a war and the two sons went off to war and they were killed. They come with word. They said, Eli, your sons are dead. Eli was out on the porch like by the pillar, he fell off and broke his neck. One of the boys' wife was going to have a child. And she, because of the distressful news, she had the child, and they called his name Ichabod. God has left. God wasn't there anymore. There's a lot of churches in the land today that's got Ichabod written over their doorposts simply because they have not taught their children what needed to be taught about the house of God. It's a grave responsibility, young people, that you have children. It's a grave responsibility in this day and age because you've got to fight the powers of hell every minute. You've got to fight a school system that says you can't pray, you can't say under God. But parents, it's up to you. It's your responsibility to carry this forth. Our God could cut your family off. Oh, he's a merciful God. He wouldn't do that. Yes, he would. Yes, he would. Questions that only we can answer for our family. We raise our children in church. Bring them to Sunday school. But do we really teach them about Jesus, a personal Jesus to those children. A personal relationship, as he says. We have a responsibility not only to God, not only to the church, but to our children that they will know about God. That the Bible is giving us personal instructions. Are you laughing at the Bible? Are you mocking the Bible? Uh, my son has something that I, I just almost slap him every time he comes across with it. And he's finally just discovered I don't like it after so many times me telling him don't. But it's a thing kind of mocking the Bible. And I said, do you not realize what you're doing to your children? You're mocking God in front of your children. Well, Mom, it's just, I said, I don't care what you say, it's just, it's wrong. Well, he'll go a few months and he'd do it again. And here we go again. Well, he hasn't done it for quite some time. But if he does it again, I'm going to tell him again. If he's going to act like a technon, I'll treat him like a technon. Or do your children know more about sports scores, team names, leagues, the names of the players and their batting averages or scoring averages, whatever they do? than they do about the scripture. We were in a church one time and this father, we had take, 
they asked us to come to their house for Sunday dinner and we were sitting there and after dinner the men went in the living room while I helped the wife with the kitchen straightening up and the daddy said Junior not that one not that one so Junior says tell brother Roy all the names of the, the ba baseball leagues just like that now he says tell me what's the best team and the players and their hit and run average is that right okay all their averages right down the, must have been 30 minutes or more that that man had that boy reciting all the statistics that would come on down and then brother Roy said uh, junior name the Ten Commandments that's too hard, Brother Hoseclaw. He don't know that. Enough said. Enough said. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 14. Read what God said to a child less than 12 years old. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Behold, I will do this thing in Israel, at which both ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. What if God told Tommy something and he got up and told us in church next week, our Joey, he's about that age, Lydia, and they told us something. And while they told us, our ears burned, our heart burned, because we knew that was God speaking through a child. And he said, this day, that day will I perform against Eli all the things which I've spoken concerning his house his house when I began I will also make an end you see God does have an end yes, he, he will give us so much time as a, what was it they used to say they give you enough rope to hang yourself and that's exactly what they do God will give you enough rope to either do what you're supposed to do or you're going to hang yourself we are to teach our children exactly the Word of God and what it reveals and how it's applicable to that child's life. Samuel believed God. He obeyed. He told Eli exactly what was happening. Even though Eli was a loving father, he didn't get by with anything. Didn't get by with it. And from the first time God spoke to Samuel, the young child drew to be a technon, to be a heros, believing and trusting and learning of God's deity in the temple. All the children of Israel knew that Samuel was established to be the prophet for the Lord. Samuel loved and obeyed God. He, loved, he was loved and respected by the people of God. One last thing I want to leave with you. You are your child's mentor. Now, do you want your child to grow up being what you are? Going through the things that you've gone through, having the heartaches and the problems. The example is Samuel. He watched what Eli did with his sons. 
and Samuel turned right around because he had no other example. His mother and father wasn't there. His mother and father had left him in the temple to be raised according to what God wanted. And he lost his own sons because they did the very same thing that Eli's sons did. It's a good thing for us to take and look at ourselves and say, do I want my son or my daughter to grow up to be like I was or like I am? Because you are their mentor. God bless you.